and welcome to the fourth episode of Design Your Legacy, a podcast where we have interesting conversations about life, legacy and jewellery. I'm Rosanna, the founder of Rosanna Croft Jewellery and your host. Today I'm speaking to Scarlett Reutemann, the London blogger and cultural genius behind the Diary of a Londoness. Scarlett talks about a mishmash of history, arts and culture and how it ties into our legacy. We discuss her family legacy that she's carrying on and what she thinks of her own. A really interesting conversation from start to finish by a woman who leads a wonderful life. I really hope you enjoy it. Hi, Scarlett. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast as a guest to talk about legacy and the wonderful things that you do. So I'm just going to kick off with an easy question, I think, but we've had some ums and ahs with previous guests. So I obviously know what you do, but just for the listeners, what's your current role in life and why is it important to you? Okay, well, uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me, Rosanna. Um, my pleasure. This is my first podcast, so it's very exciting. It's a pleasure being here. So I'm a blogger, a London blogger, and um, the blog is called Diary of a Londoness. And I started it back in March 2016. And it's a mishmash of arts and culture covering museums, theatre, opera, classical music, dance, a little bit of restaurants, a little bit of afternoon tea. And I also love history. So there's a lot of history that makes its way into the blog. And I recently started a series called Tales of My City, where I interview ghosts of London's past, such as Winston Churchill, Charles Dickens. That's my blog in a nutshell. And that's what I've been doing for the last few years. I love that mishmash of arts and culture because that is what it is. I could get lost in your Instagram feed and in your blog. There's so many fascinating stories. Some people get a little bit confused when they go on there because they're, they're used to being able to zone in straight away into a particular field. But mm-hmm. I do tend to cover quite a lot. I love it. And I'm a person who loves history and but I don't seek it out. So when it's kind of putting, when it just pops up on my feed and you get lost in the the tale of, like you say, of Winston Churchill, I mean, I can only imagine what it was like to interview him. (laughs) Oh, I had so much fun with him. (laughs) (laughs) I can afraid it. And I've got got quite a few more up my sleeve, actually. I think during lockdown, I'll have to get some other characters out. I'm planning on interviewing Nell Gwynn. Oh, very nice. Who was Charles II's mistress. So I think she's going to have to make an outing during lockdown and cheer us all up a little bit. That will be, yeah, that'll be interesting. I can't wait to, (laughs) can't wait to read that one. Um, So, so why did you start the Diary of a Londoness? Well, um, it really started, um, it was my mother actually who encouraged me and it was just, I was going out a lot. I was doing, um, doing a lot of things with the, with my girls. I've got three girls. Um, one of them's completely grown up, so she doesn't really do that much with me anymore. But I was just going out a lot, doing family stuff, and also spending a lot of time in museums and theatres and going to the opera. And she said, look, you know, you you love writing. You haven't done any writing for a long time. So why don't you grease the wheels a little bit and get back into it and, and start a blog? So I thought, what a good idea, not thinking that it would really take me where it has today. It just really started off as a simple sort of dumping ground for a few of the things that I was doing. And it's kind of morphed into more of a, I would say, um, it's now become very much of a support, um, a support for 
for arts and theatres in for the arts and theatre sector, particularly in London. Um, and it's about promoting what's going on, and I guess just trying to lend my support, really, especially now with everything that's going on. It's more important than ever. Um, I'm not the only blogger that's doing this. You know, we're all working really hard to try and promote especially the smaller venues that are really suffering throughout um, this lockdown period. So so my job really is to try and and promote as much of London's culture as I can. And uh, yeah, that's that's basically it in a nutshell. Yeah, and I think, well, from what I see, you're doing a great job. And I see as well that you've made lots of partnerships with other bloggers um yes. and and which i which is fantastic i mean i've discovered some brilliant um bloggers through through your instagram um and unfortunately lockdown prevented me from traveling to london throughout um now i can't remember the blog's name but she was doing tours just tours of london um and london it, look up london that's the, that's yeah. that's the one katie um, she's and, absolutely fantastic if anyone's and, listening Look at her Instagram or her website. Look up London. She's um, she's doing lots of virtual tours right now. She's doing virtual uh, ones. Oh, yeah, she's absolutely fantastic. She knows her stuff. Um, she's she's really amazing. Yeah. I recommend her. But yes, what what I've been doing is trying to push for 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 venues that need our support. Um, I think it's really important that. I'm not the only one that pitches up to an event. So I try and, yeah. and encourage as many bloggers as I can to, to come along as well. So I'm really not territorial about anything. Um, you know, the more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, I've made some fantastic friendships as a result. So it's a nice little group that we've got. Yeah, that's brilliant. It's, and you can tell. You can really tell. Um, so you mentioned that uh, you didn't expect your blog to take off like it has and to take it where it has taken you. So can you kind of give a brief history of maybe how you got to where you are today and where the blog has taken you? Well, oh gosh, it's a checkered history. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an interesting one. <laughs> um, I Basically, I grew up in Paris where I lived um, until I was 15. And I grew up in a very, very eccentric household with um, uh, parents who lived, who worked in the film industry. My father was Uruguayan. My mother was uh, from Texas, American. And um, they were both, um, yeah, eccentric is, I should be polite. <laughs> they were wonderful, <laughs> but they were very eccentric. And we had a lot of strange people coming in and out of our house. And it was a really interesting childhood and when I was 15, um, my parents basically ran out of money being in the, in the arts industry. They just, they would run out of money quite regularly. And they packed me off to the States to go to university. And I was only 15 um, because my mother managed to get a scholarship for the daughter of an American woman living in Paris. So oh, wow. it was one of those really weird, obscure scholarships. And I went to this fantastic university called Sweetbriar College, which was all women's in Virginia. And I did my degree over there in English and creative writing. And that's really where my love of, of writing began. Um, I didn't really know that I, that I had that in me. And, it's, and I just sort of discovered it. I had a wonderful professor there called Bill Smart, who really encouraged me. And um, that's where it really all started. Um, I, I pursued my childhood sweetheart to London after Sweetbriar um, and came came over he didn't know this at the time but I was I basically got it in my mind that I was that we were going to get married <laughs> and poor thing and um 
So I pursued him over to London and went to King's, did my master's there in English literature, specialised in Dickens. And, um, and then I got pregnant, rather young. So my career path really took a right turn because I was really hoping to go into publishing. Uh, but because I had a, a baby and bills to pay, mm. I uh, basically got uh, a slightly more mature job, I suppose, and I went into software marketing. Okay, yeah, um, a bit of a difference. <laughs> yeah, it's a big difference. But this is where my love of culture started because I was working in ticketing software and I was going to um, London's top theatres and some of its best cinemas and I was initially providing training for them and then I moved into marketing. So I got to sort of live in these dusty theatres for quite a long time. I was working at Sadler's Wells at the Old Vic, um, the Vaudeville, the Savoy, um, Sad- yes, did I say Sadler's Wells? Um, Victoria Palace. So those were all wow. our theatres. So they were kind of my playground um, in my 20s and, and early 30s. And um, after that, we sold our business and I went into property marketing, which was, again, a completely different field. Um, yes. Working very much out of Portugal, down in the Algarve. And in 2016, decided that that wasn't really what I wanted to do anymore. And that's when my mother started encouraging me to do the blog. So I basically, I stopped working and um, I indulged myself by taking up the hobby that I'd always wanted to do since I was, you know, 15, 16 and start writing. So that's how Amazing. it all happened. Yeah. Amazing. It's funny how life, life often has a different plan for us than we expect. And, you know, to take but I think that everything happens for a reason and we go on this journey um, mm. to all, and, and we will always end up where we're supposed to be, whether we take a few U-turns and a few, um, go on a few Lots roundabouts. <laughs> <laughs> so what, so where, so where is the blog taking you then? So what have you achieved with the blog? Well, uh, look, I mean, it's a learning, it's a learning experience every single day. It's so exciting. You know, I'm living in the, the most culturally exciting city, I think, in the world. And goodness, I mean, I started knowing really very little about London. When I, when I now realise what I know, I, I really knew nothing about, about its history. And certainly, you know, I've now got an insight into theatres and museums in particular you know I'm going to press events on a regular basis of course not through lockdown but going to a lot of press events where I get to see the most incredible art in advance of everyone else and to have a think about it and to talk about it with you know with my followers and that's a mm-hmm. really really exciting thing um and it's really just I'm just, I just feel very lucky to be in this space um of course it's got its challenges now huge challenges because yeah. You know, I really honestly don't know what the landscape's going to look like um, when we come out of this lockdown, but possibly, you know, they're talking about having them on and off until March. Mm-hmm. And um, what is the cultural landscape going to be like in London when when this is all over? I have no idea. But, um, you know, I think back to the 17th century, I think it was when there were a couple of plagues that reared their ugly heads and decimated the theatre industry back then. And of course it, mm. it rose again, just like, um, just like the globe did. And yes. uh, I just hope that, um, you know, that some of these smaller museums and theatres in particular will survive this. 
Yeah. So that's so it's going to be a big challenge actually um, when we're all out of this because we really don't know what's going to be left. No, and yeah. I think it's I think it's important. I definitely think that the I know it's going to be extremely hard for a lot of people, um, and I know that from experience. And I do think that it will. I do think it will rise again. I think all. Yeah. I think. Uh, ultimately the economy and all the industries that have been affected will rise again um and throughout this we all have to think a bit differently and and be a bit innovative and we're seeing some incredible um pivots in 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 affected businesses um but i do think it's going to be a case of rally the troops as soon as we we need to be supporting the arts we need to buy tickets to watch online. We need to, when they are open, we need to go and we need to buy as many glasses of champagne while we're at the theatre as we possibly can. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I think um, people are desperate to go back to the theatre. Oh, I absolutely. know just when, um, just when we had this little pause during both lockdowns, um, you know, I was straight back in there. Yeah. Um, and it was all socially distanced and it was a little bit weird, but everyone was so thrilled to be there, um, in particular the performers. Um, I saw Imelda Staunton on stage and she couldn't have been happy. She was so excited to be there. And um, um, I have no doubt that we'll all be scurrying back into our theatre seats as soon as we can and back into our museums. But it's just a worry just for the smaller venues um, that yeah. perhaps you know, are going to really struggle. So as you say, we all need to buy lots and lots of tickets and, yes, lots of champagne. And, exactly. and also support our museum shops as well. Those are really, really important. We can do that actually now mm-hmm. uh, for Christmas. It's, a, it's really fantastic. We buy a few, a few trinkets from, from our different museum shops and most yeah. of them are online. I think I think you're right there. One thing that I have done is uh, on, on my own Instagram is I'm trying to persuade people that your favourite shops, your favourite places, yeah. search them, seek them out online because they have an online space don't forget about them because you can't walk past them every day and because you can't go to the museum. Don't forget about it. it they are visible online. You may just have to look for them. Absolutely. Um, and, and also we shouldn't forget all our wonderful independent bookshops as well, which we can buy no. lots of Christmas presents from and they, they are mostly all online. Yeah, absolutely. So Completely agree. Yeah. Completely agree. So talking about um, buying bits and bobs and possessions, um, an in- interesting question that I often ask is, um, have you ever had a meaningful possession throughout your career, throughout your journey that has maybe helped you to get where you are or it's taken you back or it takes you back to a certain time Um I spoke to my mum about this uh, and my mum started off as a nurse and and so she was talking about her belt buckle that you get given when you qualify as a nurse and that always reminds her of the success of her career. So is there is there something that um, stands out to you? Well, I wish I had a belt buckle. That sounds fantastic. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, my... My most treasured possessions, uh, so I, I, well, I have a fantastic art collection, which my father has left behind for me. And I think we'll talk about that later when we talk about legacy, but I'm very lucky to have most amazing pieces of art. But I think my most treasured possessions are my books. <clears throat> and excuse me. And um, I think there are a couple of, of books that stand out. And the, one of them is, both of these were given to me by my mother. 
And the first one is a 1947 um, edition of The Great Gatsby, which is my absolute favorite wow. book. I read it every single year. It's, it's my favorite story. Well uh, it's fantastic. And it's the book's kind of falling apart. You know, I have to keep sort of yeah. putting sanitate back on it because it's old. And it's got that wonderful musty smell that you get from books. So, um, so that's a very, very treasured possession. And I hope that it won't completely fall apart before I can pass it on to the next generation. And then I also have a wonderful um, 19, I think it's 1944 um, uh, collection of Shakespeare's works, which, um, my, which my grandfather passed down to my mother and which she passed down to me. And it's, I, I think when I was doing my O-levels, I was studying Antony and Cleopatra, Romeo and Juliet, one or the other. Anyway, mm. this poor book has got annotations all over it, thankfully in pencil, but still it's absolutely covered in annotations. But it's very special to me. And I, I always have a look in. Then I look at my notes and I think wow. you know, how young I was when I was making those notes. And um, yes, those are both, I think, my most treasured possessions. That's wonderful. I, that's I also wonderful. have... I also have a really, really fantastic um, set of old children's books too, which I love. My favourite being Noddy. I absolutely oh, wow. love Noddy. <laughs> and this, I think, I don't know, I, I'm guessing it's probably from the 50s, 60s, one of these, Noddy and his car. Yeah. And um, I remember as a child reading these and thinking, gosh, I wish I could go and live in England and <laughs> hang out with Noddy and Big Ears and... Gosh, I've got the theme tune. It's a TV show going through my head now. <laughs> I won't sing it for everybody. Um, <laughs> it, and it's funny you talking about the books with the anecdotes that you've written in. I, I, whenever I walk into an old second-hand bookshop, I, I just, I hope to find a book that's got notes in it that I can oh. read because you feel like you're having an insight to somebody else's thoughts I think it's really I don't know that might just be the nosy part of me yeah it's just that part of history and and somebody else's life it's quite fascinating it can be so interesting can't it yeah definitely provided there's nothing too naughty that's written there. <laughs> yeah, but that could be <laughs> that could be even more exciting <laughs> um so then you mentioned legacy and um, I do believe that we all have leave a legacy, whether we realise it or not, um, mm-hmm. in how we live our lives. Um, so what does leaving a legacy then mean to you? Well, um, I mean, legacy has always been really, really important in my life because of my father. So uh, my father, um, as I said earlier, he was Uruguayan, um, um, a Russian-Romanian Jewish extraction. Mm-hmm. And he moved to Buenos Aires when he was four years old. And uh, he trained as an architect, but um, he he didn't like architecture particularly. So he fled to Paris, where he met my mother when he was in his early 20s. And um, I mean, it's a long story and I won't go into it, but he went into the film business and that's where he met my mother and blah, blah, But he ended up um, writing. So he wrote plays and novels, but then he did what his, what his, where his passion always lay, lay and that was art. And... Uh, he, for the last, I suppose, 30 years of his life, um, he was, his, he, there was a very generous output of, of art that he produced. And he was part of a, an art movement which originated in Buenos Aires in the 40s, and it's called MADI. And it's um, geometric abstract 
art, non-representational, wow. and it's supposed to be fun. They, they call it ludic art. So it's supposed to, it's basically supposed to be fun, not too serious. And uh, so my father has left me a really substantial collection of art, um, not just his, but also uh, members of the movement. So I've got a lot of South American particular art. So the legacy element for that is really, really important because um, I've already donated one of my father's pieces to the Perez Museum in Miami. But the idea is that, you know, in a few years, I really want to sort out the collection and gift a lot of it to museums wherever I can. Yeah. So, so it's, yes, it's super important to me in terms of my father and what he's left. Wow. Um, in terms of what I'm going to leave behind um, and, and my legacy, I don't really know what that is at the moment, if I'm honest. No. Um, you know, I have three fantastic girls and I'm sure a lot, you know, it's a cliche, but, you know, they are my no, legacy. No, it's not. It's a lie. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, if that's the only imprint that I leave on this world, then I'm absolutely okay with that. But I would love to think that maybe I've got a book or two in me and that maybe maybe I'll be able to leave some written word behind, something other than the blog. Um, So we'll have to wait and see where that goes. But I think my, yeah, I think I've not not really put that much thought into my legacy yet. And I think possibly it's something to do with age. Yeah, I know with my father, it became such an urgent thing for him later in life. And he always felt that he'd underachieved, that he, there was so much more that he wanted to do. And he kept talking to me about legacy for the last 10 years of his life. So it was, it was very important to him. And I think possibly it's something that comes with age, the, wow. the urgency for it. Yeah. And I think that speaking of your dad and the art movement, I think that you're then carrying on his legacy by the want, the, the want that you have, the desire to give those pieces to museums that you know that's carrying on his legacy but I think that just from talking to you now that will be part of your legacy as well in supporting arts and culture it's I I, I think that like from an outsider's point of view hearing you talk you, you are you are setting out a massive legacy in the arts world I think in London I I think so. most definitely <laughs> and I'd be disappointed if you didn't write a book to be honest <laughs> <laughs> well I'm definitely um putting my mind to it quite seriously now so um Good. especially with all these lockdowns going on I might say, get going with it so much free time now um so <laughs> okay all right so we're not quite sure on your legacy yet but I'm sure that you'll uh, yeah. you'll you'll get you'll get there and I think that like I said we leave it without realizing don't we like you've got three wonderful girls who I'm you know they'll leave their own legacies and their legacy will be a part of you and it's um it all ties in quite magically Um, it's quite funny because um I decided that um I didn't take my husband's name when we got married so my my maiden name is is Reutemann and we decided that we needed to carry on my father's name through the next generation of course we only had girls so um, my first daughter has taken my, my husband's surname. My second daughter has taken mine. And our third has got both. Wow. So it's a bit confusing when we go through passport control. I can imagine <laughs> explaining that. <laughs> but it was important to me that one of my girls carried on with, with the family name. So again, you yeah. know, it's that, it's that form of legacy in, in a way, isn't it? It's Definitely. It's like, yeah. Definitely. I think that's I think that's lovely and quite a nice point to make, actually, because if I ever get married, I think I'll keep my I'll keep my own name. Um, 
for a couple of reasons, but we do our our, our legacy can also be in our name. Um, Absolutely. Which, yeah, definitely. Our identity. Um, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And I mean, my business is named after me. So if I if I change my name, how would anybody ever find me? <laughs> <laughs> Depends what surname you might end up with. If it was something really exotic and exciting, you might perhaps be tempted. Yes, definitely. No, yeah, you're right. You'd have to, would have to think. And if it fits as a double barrel, then I probably would. I would consider. I would consider. It would, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um, so then, on, on a personal level, for me, I believe that we carry a lot of our legacy in our jewellery, um, and I think that it's how we will be remembered. Like your, like the art collections, a lot of people hand down a jewellery collection. Um, so do you have any special jewellery or any memorable pieces that you own? Oh, definitely. Yes, I've got some wonderful pieces. And I'd be surprised if you didn't. Saying, yeah, I'll preempt by saying that most of my, my preferred pieces are paste. Um, I love jewellery that's really big and bold and in your face. Yes. which means I can't really afford the price tag that comes with it being real. <laughs> <laughs> but I have got um, something very, very dear to me, which always makes an outing whenever there's anything special going on, a special occasion, um, given to me by my late friend, Jack Delashmet, who wrote a fantastic coffee table book called Hampton's, Hampton's Gardens. Yeah, absolutely wonderful book. Um, and he gave this to me for my 40th birthday and it's by a jeweler called, you may have heard of her called Miriam Haskell. And she was, um, a 1950s, maybe even forties. I think most, most, yes, I suppose it would have been forties and fifties jewelry designer, uh, American. Yeah. And her clients included the Duchess of Windsor, um, Gloria Vanderbilt and, um, Joan Crawford, who legend has it bought, nearly every single piece of jewellery that Miriam Haskell ever made. So she wow. was a huge fan. And Coco Chanel was also a fan. Oh, she, um, she used Miriam Haskell's jewellery in some of her couture collections. So yeah. that's, that's, that's really nice, even though they were competitors. Um, and it's just this most exquisite set. It's a, it's a big cuff, big necklace, full of, studded full of all fake pearls yeah. um, and matching earrings so I, did, I tend not to wear all three together because I think it might it's a bit over the top but I like to wear the cuff and the necklace together and um, it just reminds me of Jack every single time I wear it and it also makes me feel like I'm a Hollywood star that's just walked into it onto straight onto a 1950s wow. movie set I feel so glamorous when I'm wearing it jewelry has um, a magical way of doing that it really really does I've got this wonderful set again paste pearls that my grandmother um, handed down to me and which my 13 year old now wears to school which is bizarre because I don't think 13 year olds wearing pearls but she does and those pearls are they just always remind me of my grandmother when I look at them and then you know the creaking of her porch door on her you know in her Dallas home and then there's the smell of like she used to make this wonderful um cho- chocolate meringue pie you know, you can smell that. It's all these, it's all this, these memories, this nostalgia that comes back when you look at these pieces. Um, so yeah, they're very, those pieces are very dear to me. And, and, and jewellery is, is as much about, it's not just about people, it's, it's about places as well. So yeah. I got this wonderful um, glass knuckle duster from Venice, from Murano, um, which is just a fabulous piece of jewellery. Um, Murano glass in itself is quite, 
it, yeah. it's spectacular, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't cost, you know, I think it costs 100 euros, this this ring, yeah. but it's just, it's just fabulous. I love looking at it and it always reminds me of Venice whenever yeah. I look at it. Yeah. I've got a wonderful piece of jewellery from Bombay, you know, some garnets that, you know, because yeah, again, yeah. none of this is expensive, but it just means a lot. Yeah, and it doesn't, jewellery doesn't have to be expensive. This is what I, I like yeah. to tell people is, it's jewellery's about the meaning that it has to you. That's what's ma- That's what makes it valuable, yes diamonds and sapphires and and platinum are extremely precious and rare and and they hold their own value and and a a financial value but it's ultimately what the piece of jewelry means to you it's how it makes you feel it's what you want to remember it's the story that it tells of your life and a chapter in your life it's not about it's not about oh, like you say, this ring cost me a hundred euros, therefore it's worthless. Absolutely not, because it is what it's the sentiment behind it. So it's many stories emotion. to tell with, with all these pieces, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, and as I was saying, it's it's a it's a smell or a place or or just a memory. Um, yes, yeah, so very special. Yeah. Oh, amazing. So, um, have you ever had um, a piece of jewelry? redesigned or designed especially for you yes so um we're going to move on from pace now we're going to go to the real thing (laughs) Um, (laughs) because my my husband um basically I really wasn't fussed about an engagement ring when we got married at all we were too busy building up a business and you know we had young children we we had Clarissa when we were married already so um it just wasn't a priority. But when we sold our business, um, Mark took me to Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And we went to, I think it's Stolte Diamonds. I seem to remember as the name. Okay. And he um, he chose for me really beautiful um, set of, so there were five diamonds. So there was a three and a half carat um, princess cut center diamond and four half carat uh, princess cut side diamonds yeah. really really beautiful setting it was a bit over the top for me I'm not going to lie I wasn't used mm-hmm. to wearing real jewelry particularly um but it was a corker it was it was <laughs> a nice ring and then a few years later I was walking around Covent Garden and one of the half carrots just popped out and oh, never to be found you know it was a busy road and I only noticed um I think a while later uh, that it had yeah. gone so I, it was gone um and I decided rather than getting the ring reset the way it had been, because it was a little bit over the top, um, yeah. I took the three remaining half carats and I had a necklace made for each of my girls. Okay. So now the girls have got a piece of our engagement ring to treasure. So that's it's actually so lovely. a lot nicer. <laughs> oh, that's really nice. So what did you do with the what did you do with the the big diamond? With the corker, well. I've yeah that's been reset and I've got, yeah. <laughs> I've got sort of pave very small pave diamonds on, on, yeah. on the side but it's nothing like it used to be obviously no, but it's still no. very very beautiful and and I'm and very special. happy with it the way it is and I'm thrilled that my girls have each got a piece of, of the original ring actually it's really I special. think that's lovely I, I really do I think that um it's nice for girls to have a uh, well children to have a part of their parents relationship I think it's lovely to it's just a nice, a nice thing to have. It's a family. It, it's a, it ties you together in a way. I think absolutely. And again, it's something for them to hand down to their children as well. Yeah. I think it's it's lovely. It's yeah. like you know, my jewelry box. I've got 
um, my my father's wedding ring, my grandfather's wedding ring. You know, these are again, these are these are wonderful things to look at in your jewelry box, aren't they? Even if you don't necessarily yeah. wear them, they're just oh, wonderful definitely, definitely. It's really nice to have them. Look at them, rem- re- like remind yourself of times gone by. Um, I I encourage people to wear them whenever they can because I do when things are sat gathering dust. I think it's such a shame, but it, it, you know, I mean we can't wear everything all the time and some things are too delicate if they're you know if they're 100 so years old it's very difficult to um you have to be careful with them they could be quite fragile um yes go on sorry I was going to say I've started um strangely I started wearing brooches which you know I don't know if it's an age thing Oh. But I love my brooches, and they, I they're they're coming back. Yeah, so they were getting really dusty, but now no, they've been dusted off, and I'm starting to wear them, and I'm really enjoying that. I think if I could, if I could get away with it, what I would love to do is to start wearing, you know, jewelry as um, flowers as yeah. jewelry as well. That's, that's oh, you thing. should. Absolutely. Well, I don't, I, I'm not. I'm not free to callow, but I love the idea of wearing, you know, a floral headpiece or. You know how they used to in the, I suppose, it, the 18th century, they, they used to wear flowers, you know, posies, and they used to wear yeah. them on their dresses. And, yeah. and I think that's a that's a beautiful way of, you know, a living piece of jewellery, actually. Absolutely. No, I think you should do it. If you want if you want to wear posies on your jacket, you should Maybe absolutely should. do it. Um, but I have a hot insider tip that brooches are coming back. Um, uh-huh. Yes, I I do believe I do believe they're making a comeback. Uh, and is Rosanna, about, is Rosanna Croft making brooches? Well, I, she will be soon. Believe you me. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to seeing them. <laughs> <laughs> so, lastly, then um, we talk about legacy and how we live our lives. Do you have any advice for young women or anybody you know, people in general, about leaving a mean? leaving a meaningful legacy behind well um it's funny I was talking to my daughter and my son-in-law about this yesterday and um and my son-in-law said I'll I'll read what he said he said write your own obituary and if you don't like Mm. the way it reads rethink what you're doing oh I love that I thought that was really interesting because it does make you think you know you start making notes and you're thinking oh gosh Mm. No, maybe I need to rethink things a little bit. Maybe I need to judge my life up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, you know, the legacy that we're leaving, I think it's particularly at our age, I think it's, it's, um, it's something that comes along with age, like I was saying uh, uh, earlier. Um, I think it starts to form itself as you get older. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's necessarily something that I understand right now. I'm going, I'm going along with it. And I hope that I get, I hope that, my obituary is exciting by the time, you know, the inscription goes up on the tombstone. <laughs> um, but I think ultimately, I think a, a, um, legacy is, is about leaving these wonderful little nuggets of, of knowledge and memories yeah. for your children and your grandchildren, hopefully. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's what it is really yeah. in a nutshell. It's just those, it's the, the, it's the memories, um, it's the nostalgia. And a happy nostalgia, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and it's about passing it's about passing these things down from one generation to the next, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. I think you've hit the nail on the head. 
definitely. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I think that our listeners will absolutely love this. I think I'll be going back and listening to it again later. Really, really interesting conversation. Um, So thank you very much. It was such a pleasure and it was such a a fantastic way to cheer up a Friday. Yes, absolutely. No, thanks for coming on. And I encourage everybody to go and follow Scarlett over at the Diary of a Londoness. Um, And I'll put your link in the show notes so people can find you and come and support you and the arts and culture scene in London. Yes, please. They need our support. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks, Rosanna. I first met Scarlett a few years ago because I fell in love with her blog. I asked to take her for coffee and I'm so pleased I did. I find her view on life extremely interesting and I cannot wait to read the book that she produces, part of her lasting legacy. Do you agree and think that legacy comes with age or have you already thought about what you want your obituary to read? There are certainly some really interesting points to think about here for your life. And when you look at your jewellery box, do you see costume jewellery or corking diamonds? I think that this conversation proves it doesn't matter. It's so much more than financial value and it's about the memories that come from jewellery, the people, the smells and the places. If, like Scarlett, your jewellery is missing a diamond, perhaps you lost it wandering down Covent Garden or perhaps you've got some age-old jewellery that needs redesigning, please go to my website and have a look at how I can help you. The links to follow Scarlett's incredible blog are in the show notes, as are the links to follow myself and find my website. I hope that you have a great day and that you have loved this episode.